Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, part two in our series on grief, new state fair foods, and our own J.W. Cox moves on to a new role in Iowa. But first, a U of M medical school report details a decrease in teen pregnancy, birth, and STI rates across Minnesota. This week, Tasha Radel connected with Dr. Jill Ferris, Director of Adolescent Sexual Health Training and Education at the U of M, to take a closer look at the results. I know every year you do an annual report, and it really focuses on Minnesota adolescent sexual health. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. So yes, as you said, every year we have a report that comes out that details the health of young people in our state as it relates to adolescent sexual health. And so we look at this report, um, we look at pregnancy, teen pregnancy, teen birth, we look at um, sexually transmitted infections, and then we kind of look at things through a lot of different lenses. So we look at things in terms of racial and ethnic disparities, we look at things by geographic disparities in terms of rural versus suburban versus urban young people, Um, and then we also have a section of our report this year that's dedicated to Um, parental support for comprehensive sexuality education, which is based on a survey that was done by researchers in our division with parents um, all throughout the state of Minnesota. So our our report is very comprehensive and broad um, as it relates to young people and the sexual health of those young people. And we uh, are focused on teens for this report and the way that our Kind of our data systems uh, define teens as 15 to 19. So we know obviously there is we're missing some um, some younger teens, 10 to 14, and we're missing kind of that older uh, young adult population of 20 to 24. But everything that I'll talk about today and everything that's in our report is focused on those 15 to 19 year olds. Well, as you had mentioned earlier, it's quite a comprehensive report. But were there any things or highlights that stuck out in your mind uh, to this year's report data? Yeah, I think, you know, those of us who um, advocate for and work on behalf of young people, we're pretty gratified to see that uh, trends continue to move in a positive direction. Um, Our teen pregnancy and teen birth rates are at historic lows. Um, These rates have been declining since the early 1990s, and um, so this is not a new trend necessarily in terms of of pregnancy and birth, but it's definitely uh, a trend that we we continue to see, and it's definitely a trend in the right direction in terms of, you know, young people waiting until they are older to have children, so that's a great thing. And the other thing that was, um, you know, important, an important finding this year was around sexually transmitted infections. So um, I think all of us you know, uh, we're, we're very kind of just very curious about what the pandemic would mean for young people and for their sexual health. And I think we're obviously still waiting to see all of the effects of that. We can't make a determination about what the pandemic meant for young people this at this stage of the game. But I think what's interesting to note is that the chlamydia and gonorrhea rates in Minnesota among teenagers actually went down in 2021. Um, so we don't know if that is due to um, you know, a lack of access to testing or treatment because of the pandemic, um, or if it reflects a true decline in infections. Uh, it's probably a little bit of both, 
but it is definitely um, a great sign to see sexually transmitted infections decreasing for a year. Uh, the thing, the sort of point of caution that I want to point us all toward, however, is that we're, of course, happy uh, that the rates went down for one year. But the sexually transmitted infection rates in Minnesota among young people have actually been climbing for quite a while now, um, since really kind of about about 15 years ago was when they really started to increase. And so even though we had this decrease uh, for one year, which again is great, chlamydia is up 54% since 2004, and gonorrhea is up 82% since 2004. So even though we're happy about this one-year decline, it's important to look at this in the context of kind of a trend that is over many years. And over many years, what we are seeing is that sexually transmitted infections are up among young people and still absolutely something that we need to work on to get those rates um, to get those rates down. And, you know, I wanted to ask, you know, obviously we have a, um, you know, a, the high, the highest populations in the Twin Cities area, but mm -hmm. is rural Minnesota seeing, you know, uh, some of these same trends or are they higher? Yeah, it's a great question. So when we look at where we see kind of higher rates of, you know, STIs, we do see a concentration in Hennepin and Ramsey counties. I mean, those are the places where the rates are the highest. But we actually see, um, especially chlamydia, is a really widespread infection across the whole state. Um, it affects young people in, you know, rural, suburban, and urban areas. So there's not a single county that's out there that doesn't have chlamydia infections. Um, it's a pretty widespread infection. So that one is definitely affecting young people in every pocket and every corner of Minnesota. Um, gonorrhea looks a little bit different. It tends to be more concentrated in what I would maybe call an urban core or uh, more of a, an urban pocket. And so it tends to be concentrated in places that have a larger city or town. Um, but that's not always the case. Um, and we certainly see gonorrhea increasing actually at um, an even more uh, fast pace than chlamydia is. So they're both definitely of concern to us. And um, we see, you know, young people from all over the state being affected by these STIs. Not just the, it's not just an urban, you know, issue or something that is only happening to teens in urban areas. Next week on Minnesota Matters, Tasha and Dr. Ferris will discuss sex education in schools. Are Minnesota parents for or against it? Minnesota Matters returns after this. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota electric co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. This week we continue our conversation with an expert from the University of Minnesota about a subject that makes many people uncomfortable, certainly to experience, but even to watch, namely grief. 
prolonged grief disorder is now officially included in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, the DSM-5, the guidebook for health professionals as they treat a wide variety of mental and emotional disorders. In the first part of our discussion last week, U of M lecturer in behavioral health, Dr. Faiz Karim, stressed... A very big misconception in society at large is that, um, you know, there's this timetable um, around uh, grief, and there is no timeline, there is no time frame. Sure. But, you know, at some point, you know, for some individuals, um, they may have a difficult time um, getting back into their normal day-to-day routine, where it's impacting work, it's impacting school, um, it's impacting social relationships. at a a larger scale. Dr. Karim says having prolonged grief disorder in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual will help destigmatize the affliction and encourage people to seek the help they need to work toward a more joyful life. What specifically does that help entail? MN's Bill Werner talked with Dr. Karim about the many and varied paths to healing. I want to ask you a question that's on my mind a lot, and I suspect that it is on other people's minds as well. And I'm going to use my own personal experience, okay? Uh, from the loss of both of my parents and the loss of a very close friend, there are times uh, when I as wake up in the morning or when something happens, m- maybe even maybe even a happy thing that happens. And my reaction sometimes is that it it can never be a, a perfect day again uh, or never be the way it was, uh, which is probably a truism, at least, that it can never be the way it was. We hear of those who never get over it, right? Uh, and, and some we, we hear on more than one occasion of husbands... Uh, who lose their wives or vice versa, and then that person passes a short time later. Uh, Diet of a broken heart is (laughs) a a phrase that is used a lot. Ultimately, with people who lose someone or something that is very dear to them, um, is there a way finally to to reach peace with that? And if so, uh, what what resources um, ought a person to seek? The grieving process is not necessarily something that we may get over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's another misconception um, in society and uh, with any sort of loss. It's, and it's not about getting over. Uh, you know, when I work with individuals, let's say, and they're seeking out help for these issues, it, it's not about getting over the loss. It's looking at how do we continue to um, foster that relationship with that loss moving forward. Um, a lot of the, you know, newer research is really focused on the, the continued bonds um, with the, um, whether it's the deceased or the loss itself. And I think what it really comes down to in terms of coping strategies is looking at how do we continue to pay respect, to pay homage to that loss. Um, and that comes down to rituals uh, mm. and, and mourning rituals. You know, so, for example, if someone passes away due to death and dying, we have a lot of prescribed rituals, morning rituals, across various cultures yes. and how to honor that, um, that death, um, whether it's a funeral or a wake or other you know, sort of rituals. And so I think the biggest thing is we know that going forward with these losses that there may be reminders that come up, and some that we can anticipate um, and some that we cannot. 
Uh, you know, you could be driving into work and you hear a song on the radio. Right. And, you know, that's going to trigger some memories of this loss. So I think it's looking at, you know, different strategies um, to prepare, you know, for some of these triggers, but really looking at what are some different rituals that we can have in place to um, to be able to um, to pay respects and homage to that loss, though, too. And that's, you know, something where, um, you know, there's a lot of power in therapy, um, there's a lot of power in grief and loss support groups, and that's one thing I'm always a huge advocate of. I teach um, a group therapy class here at the university, and we talk about just the power of groups, but especially with areas like grief and loss, you can go to these support groups, and you know there's a sense of not feeling alone because yes. others have, are sharing you know, a similar um, process with the, the bereavement process, though, too. Doctor, your mention of ritual brings up where I would like to to end, I think, our conversation uh, in this aspect. Um, You you are a person of science. You look at uh, statistical items, probabilities, um, causalities, potential causalities. Is there and all these kinds of things that that are embodied in a scientific endeavor? and yet, it's interesting that you mention ritual. That leads us to to the issue of uh, spiritual faith, um, which some who are listening to this uh, will subscribe to that, and others will not. Um, yeah. Is that an important part of the grieving process, and and finally m- moving on to to the next chapter beyond a loss? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Uh, I think one's faith and spirituality can be a source of strength, and it can be a very significant protective factor for individuals as they navigate. Uh, you know, I find that individuals that are grieving, um, sometimes it takes a loss to bring them closer to their faith and spirituality or religion. And then you have others, though, on the opposite end, where they um, have kind of this more of an existential crisis. Um, or questioning, and that actually leads them to distance themselves away from their faith and spirituality. But I think for some, and, and not just kind of you know relig- uh, religion and spirituality, but the values that encompass that faith. And so for some, you know, and that's where again, as you mentioned, rituals. You know, for some, it could be the power of prayer. That could be something that's very self-soothing, and um, and a way to maybe ground oneself as they're dealing with some of these different symptoms of grief. And so when I'm working with individuals, it's identifying, is that something that um, they are, you know, wanting to incorporate, uh, you know, in in their grieving process and and treatment for grief, you know, let's say. Um, And so for some, you know, again, it could be the the prayer aspect. Some, it could be relying on that community, that, that faith community for that social support. Uh, so I think there's a variety of different ways that we could incorporate faith and spirituality, but I think it's very individualized. So I, I don't want to say that, you know, it's going to work across the board for everyone. Sure. Because I think it really depends from person to person. That is University of Minnesota lecturer in behavioral health, Dr. Fiaz Karim, who says now having prolonged grief disorder as a legitimate diagnosable condition gives a name to individuals and what they're feeling. Scott? Thank you, Bill, for that story. Minnesota Matters returns after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. The Minnesota State Fair this week announced 38 new foods coming to the Great Minnesota Get-Together in 2023. I spoke with fair spokeswoman Maria Hayden about what fairgoers can expect this year. There are a lot of super exciting offerings this year. Um, Some of the ones I'm most excited about are the new rice and meat options from Union Monk Kitchen. They have three different varieties you can try, so I'm super excited about that, as well as the pickle pizza. I'm a big pickle fan. I know um, it's very hit or miss with some people, but I'm super excited about it. I was interested in that pickle pizza myself, and of course there's a picture of it on the MN State Fair uh, website. Uh, It is just as advertised. It's a big pizza with a lot of pickles on it. Yeah, it looks delicious. <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of stuff on here. I think I saw um, at least uh, one new interestingly fried item, which was fried ice cream. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so the deep fried ice cream, that one you can find in the Coliseum. What they do is they have a frozen ice cream bar, and then they deep fry it and cover it in this cornflake coating and then top it with some fruit sauces and sprinkles. So it's beautiful, and it looks very delicious. It sure does. Uh, We've also got uh, something called the... I'm just looking at the list here. My goodness, it's making me so hungry. Oh, you know, one of my favorite (laughs) things is I've always liked the mini apple pie. There's a different different version of that pie this year. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, this year they've introduced the mini blueberry pie. It's what it sounds like, a blueberry pie, but in that mini apple pie version that you know and love. Um, And it comes with a side of vanilla ice cream. So that blueberry and vanilla blend super well together. It's super delicious. You know, when we think of state fair foods, sometimes we think of things that are uh, decadent and not necessarily uh, the best for us. Uh, One such item that I'm looking at right now on my computer is Nordic waffles. My gosh. Yeah, the Nordic Waffles, they have a sweet and a savory option this year. They have a vanilla cream custard filled waffle as well as one with pork belly. So there's something for everyone with any palate. If you're more of a sweet person or more of a savory person, you can try one of each. Let's say hypothetically there's somebody who wants to go to the state fair and eat healthy. Uh, are Are there any new options this year for those folks? Yeah, we've got new options for pretty much everyone. Uh, One of the healthier options that's new this year is actually a new vendor in the food building called Nautical Bowls. They serve uh, superfood bowls, so they've got four different fresh varieties of superfood bowls, um, and I've personally tried them outside of the fair, and they're super refreshing, so I can just imagine they're going to be a great healthy treat on a hot summer's day. Uh, As I mentioned, towards the top of the conversation, there's about 38 new foods. Uh, How does that compare to years past in terms of introducing new foods? Yeah, every year is a little bit different. This year, uh, we've got a little bit bigger list, so there's a lot of things for everyone to try. We've got eight new vendors, so every year is a little bit different, but this year we're super excited to have a lot of different offerings. Um, One thing to highlight, we have a lot of new vegan offerings this year, which is super exciting. So something for everyone to try. And how many uh, items typically each year end up becoming uh, state fair staples that stick around? I mean, do they do they get introduced a lot of the new foods and then kind of go away, or do they stick around for a while afterwards? You know, that's a great question. I think quite a few of them will stay around afterwards. One of the ones I know 
um, from 2019, the Dilly Dog that was in the Coliseum. I loved it. was a brat stuffed inside a pickle, um, and that one is still being served this year. So quite a few of the new foods will stick around for years to come. So if for whatever reason you can't make it to the fair this year, there's always something new to try um, in coming years. I almost hate to ask this question, but I feel uh, that it's my responsibility to ask it. Are we are we losing any fair foods this year that folks have come to uh, enjoy each year? Every year is a little bit different. Um, every year people retire. Sometimes people just move on from being a vendor like any other job. Um, so I'd say people come and go just with the nature of having a job and being at the fair, but we're really excited to be able to have eight new vendors coming in this year uh, to offer something new at the fair. Um, I know that if it was me listening to this conversation, I would be thinking, well, uh, I would love to see some pictures of these foods. Where can they go to see them? Yes, you can go to mnstatefair.org. There will have a full layout with pictures of all of our new foods. Make sure you eat before you look at it. Otherwise, it'll make you super hungry. But you can find all the information at mnstatefair.org. And as far as when the fair runs this year, if you don't mind just giving me a few of the details on that, that would be great. Yes, so it'll be the 12 days before Labor Day, August 25th to September 5th. Perfect. And uh, if folks want to get tickets ahead of time, are they available already? Yep, pre-fair discount tickets are available at mnstatefair.org. They are $14 pre-fair online, and they'll also be available in Metro Cub locations and other ticket outlets on July 17th. Thank you to my guest, the Minnesota State Fair's Maria Hayden. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Did you know that more lives are lost to lung cancer each year than breast, colorectal, and prostate cancers combined? Lung cancer will claim more than 135,000 lives this year. But new treatments have improved survival for many with the disease and offer new hope for many more. So does lung cancer screening with low-dose chest CT. The American Cancer Society and most major professional organizations recommend that adults ages 55 and older with a long history of smoking, even if they have quit, should talk with their doctor to learn more about lung cancer screening. Lung cancer screening saves lives by detecting lung cancer early when it's more successfully treated. So, ask your doctor if lung cancer screening is right for you. And if you smoke, ask your doctor to help you quit. Visit the National Lung Cancer Roundtable website at nlcrt.org. That's nlcrt.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The new radio play-by-play announcer for the University of Northern Iowa Panthers is a familiar voice to Minnesota News Network listeners. J.W. Cox was named the new director of broadcasting for the UNI after working six years at MNN as a news reporter. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm caught up with J.W. to talk about his new role and his memories in Minnesota and how happy he is to get his new role in Cedar Falls, Iowa. I was just very excited. I mean, it's been fun over the last, it became official where they announced it last week. And I've heard, obviously, from the people here that I know and, and that I've gotten to know here and that know me personally and are happy about it. But the, the fun thing has been to hear from people down there in Cedar Falls. And uh, we've been down to visit the community a couple of times. I've talked to you about that community being from there and other people I know that, that turn out to be from Iowa and the area. And, and it's just lived up to everything we've heard so far and, and great people. And it's been fun to kind of 
take that first step in being part of the community. Yeah, Northern Iowa, a Division One institution. Uh, they play in the Missouri Valley in basketball, and then they play in the uh, Missouri Valley also in football, I guess, as well, with uh, with the likes of the Dakota schools yeah. and Youngstown State and the Northern El- or, uh, Southern Illinois and others. Um, the Unidome is such a great facility. That'll be your new office. Yeah, no, it's great. And the office is, the actual office is in the Unidome building, and then, yeah, the press box up there is awesome. It's just, it, you couldn't ask for a better vantage point. Don't have to worry about the weather, which is always nice. You know, we had that a little bit at St. Cloud State, but uh, yeah, I'm excited. I got to be up there and kind of tour that and the McLeod Center, which is just a top-notch facility over there, and uh, it's going to be fun to to make that home for the foreseeable. You are uh, kind of uh, transitioning into it. You still have some duties yet this month with the Saints um, as as they continue their season, but um, about a month from now, you'll be, you know, full-time into that thing. Yeah. No, I'm excited to be there and and get to just go day-to-day and be, obviously, first up will be football with their season starting until basketball gets going with their camps and things later in the fall but to, to just be there and around the programs and around the coaches and in the building I mean we share the the offices with athletics and, and it's all a, a great big partnership and so that's going to be fun when I can get there in person have the family there too because you know we're looking to be right there close to close to the uni dome and close to campus and right there in the heart of Cedar Falls so it's going to be real fun to get that opportunity just on a daily basis be a part of everything that's going on there and you get the uh, the duty of following a guy uh, in Gary Rima, who has been the voice of the Panthers for almost three decades, I think 29 seasons. So uh, what's the challenge uh, there in, in you know following a guy who's been there for a while? Well, so far, it's been a lot of open arms for me for the people. But I know there's there's people that are big-time Gary fans with just cause because he was so good, he was so passionate about the Panthers and everything that they did. Uh, and I think the challenge is to just rise to that level, right? you got to bring that same enthusiasm, and that's what I've talked to people about a little bit as I've, I've kind of spoken about that aspect of it. That's what Gary was known for, whether it was his signature calls or whatever. He was doing it all with enthusiasm, and I think that's what I've brought from to St. Cloud State, mm-hmm. and that's what I'll bring with me. Real quickly, um, what were some of your favorite moments sports-wise here uh, in Minnesota, whether it's St. Cloud State, whether it's the Saints, uh, whether it's, uh, hey, you filled in on a Gopher men's yeah. game, right? I was down at the bowl game. and Yeah, working with Spencer Tollickson. I mean, that yeah. was probably had to be the, 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 number, the, one, the, the right? number one highlight. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, that was fun. I, I've always loved the barn. Like So when I got that opportunity, I'd done some high school games and, and just a fabulous place to go do any sport, any level. Uh, so to get to do a Gopher game there was super special. For St. Cloud State, I, I always remember my first year, which I hadn't done a lot of football up until that point. They had you know a great quarterback who, who was uh, – uh, you know, up for all sorts of national awards, and they went to the they went to the uh, the, the playoffs. And they had a home playoff game, and then it snowed on <laughs> November the nineteenth, and it didn't work out for them because the other team, you know, whatever they they were able to to adapt a little better. But that was just so fun to get that introduction to that kind of high level talent and high level success. A couple years later, they would go deeper into the tournament. It was great. Uh, one of my favorite memories is going to be this past season. I've gotten to go to the NCAA regional with St. Cloud State men's or women's basketball for five straight years now, basically one or the other. And the women's team won a game at the regional tournament for the first time since you know the early 2000s this last year, and that's going to be a great memory. I'm glad that the last win I got to call at St. Cloud State was that. And then the Saints in 2019 had a great run when they you know won the championship, the American Association, kind of the last full season of independent ball before they made this transition over to AAA. 
and a lot of good memories out of that and you get a ring out of that which was fun too uh, being around triple a teams i mean i'm always excited now when you get to go see those that caliber of talent i mean akil badu is going to be in town this week with toledo and uh it, it, it's going to be fun to see all of that too it's been fun to see all that over the last year so a lot of highlights so grateful for all the fun things that i've been able to to cover and the teams and the people that i've been able to meet that's jw cox the new radio voice of the northern iowa panthers with mnn sports director mike grimm that does it for us for this week thank you so much for listening and please tune in again next week for minnesota matters on this mnn station